campuses. Amen. Hey, can we thank our worship team and these guys? Grateful for them. Have a seat. Have a seat. Uh, my name's Andrew. I'm one of the pastors here, uh, and it's so great to have you with us. Uh, if this is your first Sunday of 2024, your first service uh, with us this year, we're so glad you are here. Uh, last week, I uh, shared uh, with us all a dream that I sensed God had given me at the end of last year or towards the end of last year uh, that was really a call to intimacy. All the things that I'd just kind of been talking about in that prayer moment with us, uh, this, this call to intimacy. And uh, I said last week that we as a a senior leadership here at The Vine, we've been uh, wrestling with uh, all the things that God has been saying to us as a church. Um, And and God, at the beginning of this year, is bringing both a correction uh, and an invitation to us. And we, we talked about this a little bit in detail last week, that God is bringing a correction to us here at The Vine around our worship. And it's really important that when you're a church, that you keep your ears open and your heart open to all the things that God wants to say to you. And whilst we worship and we honor and we walk with a God of love and peace and mercy and glory and grace, He's also a God that sometimes has things to say to us that aren't always easy to hear. And we've heard here as a leadership that we have to reflect a bit deeper around our worship experiences with God. And one of the things that we've heard at the beginning of this year is something that needs a correction in us. And that is, so often we can come here on a Sunday and experience what we experience. And, and, and we kind of exist, if you will, off the atmosphere of God. As great as that is, and what a privilege it is to have the presence of God here in the room with us. But we think that that's the all, that's the be all and end all. And we don't push beyond the atmosphere of God to the actual person of God to the person of Christ with us, and that we kind of settle, if you will, for a feeling of God in the room rather than a personal, active, and living relation with Him every single day. And so last week, we unpacked this idea of how so often we can find ourselves stopping short, that the Scriptures would say that it is our praise that is leading us through the gates. We go through the gates with thanksgiving on our hearts, but we go into a deeper relationship with Him. Our worship is not us camping at the gates. Our worship leads us through the gates into a deeper reality with Him. Does that make sense to you? And I said last week that all of us have been created with this innate desire for intimacy with God. It's a wonderful, beautiful thing that God has created you with a desire for intimacy with Him. And the reality is, is, is when we don't satisfy that innate desire for intimacy with God, with God, we'll look for lesser and other forms of intimacy to satisfy what actually can only be satisfied in God. And so often we look for that intimacy in broken ways with one another. And in our brokenness and in intimacy together, we think that will plug the intimacy desire that God has given in us. And we talked about last week how it's only in the fullness of that intimacy with Christ that we're then able to walk in healing and good intimacy with one another. It flows in that way. That was the word of correction last week, but there was also a word of invitation for us last week. And it was an invitation to orientate all of our lives towards God. To recognize that, that church, this moment that we have together, this incredible 90 minutes that we share on a Sunday is a wonderful, beautiful God gift, and we're so grateful for it. But it's a catalyst into a deeper and greater relationship with Jesus outside of those 90 minutes. And that our relationship with God, our intimacy with Jesus, is not dependent on the church. 
The church catalyzes that relationship, but we're not dependent on the church for the fullness of that relationship. My heart for you is that you would come in here on a Sunday and you would encounter incredible intimacy with Jesus, but my greater heart for you is that you would find yourself more intimate with Jesus outside of these services than you are even here in these services. That it's in your workplaces and your relationships and your family and you yourself when you wake up on a Monday morning and you open God's word that in those moments you find the richest of intimacy with Christ and that you're not coming into church so drained and exhausted after a crazy week seeking an injection of Jesus to get you through the week ahead. But instead, the whole week has been a, a living, embracing faith for you. And you come into to service on a Sunday with this overflow of the intimacy of Christ throughout the week. And you can't wait to be with the people of God in the church of God, experiencing intimacy together. It's a catalyst to your faith. Your faith should not be dependent on it. Are you with me, church? So there's a correction, but there's an invitation. And last week I spoke about a biblical definition of this kind of intimacy. I, I want to start by, by reading this to you once again. An orientation of all of life that pushes beyond just a feeling of God to an actual, real, and deep relationship with Him that produces in us the fruit of assurance, confidence, and joy. That's what I think God is welcoming and inviting the vine into this year, inviting you personally into this year. An orientation of all of your life where you're not just existing off of some feeling of him, but you have a, a tangible, real, daily relationship with him that creates a fruit in you of confidence and assurance and joy that you feel the fullness of life. And I tell you what, Hong Kong right now, our world right now needs churches filled with individual Christians who have assurance in their faith, confidence in the gifts of the Holy Spirit, and a joy for life so that they could go into the workplaces, into the marketplace, into the corridors of power of that city and speak of that assurance and that confidence and that hope and bring a new narrative to this world. Surely we need that. Our intimacy with God produces an overflow in us towards this world that God so deeply loves. What I want to do this week and next week is share two critical traps that I think all of us Christians fall into that have the power to actually restrict our ability to be intimate with Jesus. I want to share two critical things this week, next week, that are traps that I think we fall into that restrict our ability to move into deeper intimacy with him. And I think if you can open your heart to these two things that we're talking about this week and next, I, I think it could be a wonderful way for you to start your new year. If you can deal with some of this in your own life, and what I'm teaching you today has come out of a deep wrestling myself with this very issue, if we can wrestle with it, I think you'll set yourself up for a freedom in intimacy with Jesus in the year ahead like you've never experienced before. Two critical traps. To introduce you to the first one this afternoon, I want to tell you a little bit about the story of Ruth in the Bible. The book of Ruth in the Old Testament, uh, one of my favorite books in the Old Testament, one of my favorite books in the whole Bible. It's the shortest book, actually, uh, in the Old Testament. So it's an easy one to read. I recommend it in the week ahead. It's an awesome story about a family. And I love stories about families because family is something that's really important to me. In this story, uh, there is a, a father. His name is Elimelech. 
and he has a wife named Naomi, and they have two sons. They live in Bethlehem. Yes, the actual same Bethlehem as the Christmas story. The name Bethlehem means the house of bread because Bethlehem was famous for the fields around it that were filled with corn and they made bread in that land. But in this story, a famine happens right at the beginning of the story. And the famine is so hard that Elimelech decides to actually uproot his family and move to a new nation where they can live and survive. They move to a nation known as Moab. As they go into Moab, they settle as a family, and it so happens that his two sons marry Moabite women, Orpah and Ruth. Now, as the story goes, as they marry these women, and uh, a short time after that, a tragedy happens to the family, and Elimelech and his two sons die. And suddenly, Naomi is left as a widow with two daughters-in-law two daughters-in-law that are not from her own bloodline or from her own land. And around about this time, Naomi hears that the famine has lifted in Bethlehem and that she can now return home. And she she says to her daughters-in-law, look, I release you from the family bond, if you will. You're better off, your futures are better off to remain here in Moab than to come back with me. And she tries to release her daughters-in-law. Orpah decides that for her and her journey, that's the best thing for her to remain in Moab. But Ruth replies in some of the most beautiful language and words that we have in the whole of the Bible. She says, no. She's like, our family is more than just this bloodline. We're connected together. And your land will be my land. Your God will be my God. And so Ruth makes the decision to not leave Naomi, not only a widow, but on her own, but instead come back with Naomi and settle in her land, in the land of Bethlehem. As they get back to Bethlehem, The harvest is about to happen, which is a wonderful thing in that land. But Naomi and Ruth find themselves on really hard times. In the patriarchal culture of that day, without a husband for Naomi or a husband for Ruth, it meant that they were under an impoverished situation. In fact, they were so poor, they were struggling to make ends meet and survive. And Naomi, in the midst of that poverty, realizes that there is something that they can do. She says to Ruth, I want you to go into the fields during the harvest time. And she says, I want you to glean in the harvest. Ruth decides to go and glean in the harvest, and their story changes at that point. But it's this idea of gleaning in the harvest that I actually want to unpack and talk with you a little bit more about today. The concept of gleaning in that time, about a thousand years before Christ, it was almost like the Hebrew social welfare structure of the day. Okay? It was something that was written in the law so that those who were poor or the impoverished or the vulnerable or the outcasts of society, they would be able to come alongside in the harvest and actually receive something from the harvest. You can imagine in a town like Bethlehem, the harvest was significant for that town and the landowners were the wealthy people and the harvesters were hired to come and harvest the crop of that land. Well, the gleaning was something that was constructed to help the poor people also partake in the harvest. Let me explain how this works. So the harvesters would take a basket like this wicker basket I'm about to put on my back. They would put it on their back just like this. And what they would do is they would stand at the beginning of a massive grain field. Remember, they're harvesting corn. And they would stand in this massive grain field. There'd be a whole line of harvesters all with uh, baskets on their backs. And what they would do 
uh, right at the same time, all of them in one go, they would step forward. Now remember, there's a massive field in front of them. There's a lot of grain to harvest, and they have a short period of time in daylight to do so. So this was a fast thing that they would do. They would step forward. They would grab the first stalk of grain in front of them. They would uproot it from the ground. They would sheaf off all of the leaves from it. They would manage to get the husk of the corn from it, and they would throw the husk of the corn into the basket, drop the stalk, and step forward once again. Pull up the next stalk, sheaf it all off, take that husk of corn, throw it into the back of the basket, move on to the next. Do you, do you, you understand that? And the faster that they could do this, the better it was. So for those over here, they would be like, like this, right? They were like ninjas when it came to harvesting corn. It was awesome. Now, every once in a while, though, a harvester would sheaf off the corn husk and throw the corn husk into the basket. But because of the speed or maybe the movement, the corn husk would miss the basket and fall on the ground. Now, when the corn fell on the ground... By law, the harvester was not allowed to pick up that grain anymore. When the corn husk would fall under the ground, you had behind the line of harvesters another line. This was the poor people. This was Ruth. And they were behind the harvesters, and they were desperately watching the harvesters to see which one is likely to drop some corn on the ground. Now, you can imagine when a harvester drops a corn on the ground by mistake and realizes it and realizes they can't pick it up, they move on, and suddenly you can almost hear all of the cleaners go, (gasps) and there's like this fight for that one piece of corn that's fallen on the ground. And all the cleaners would run forward, and somebody would grab that precious bit of corn. And as soon as they grabbed that corn, that was their property now, and they could take that home, and they could make some bread for themselves and hopefully survive for another week. Gleaning was the process of taking the tidbits, the crumbs of the harvest, and making a meal out of it so you could actually survive. Are you following this? So, so if you think about it this way, gleaning was like living off of the leftovers of the others who were harvesting. Now, take this back off, put it back over here. What has this all got to do with us and intimacy? I want to put it to you that I think for the majority of us, when it comes to our intimacy with Jesus, and when it comes to our spiritual life with him, our posture is primarily one of gleaning rather than harvesting. Now, what do I mean by that? What I mean is that I think so often in the Christian life, and this is the big trap that we fall into, we primarily base our intimacy off of the throwaways of somebody else's intimacy. I think we so often construct our faith our knowledge of Jesus and who Jesus is off of somebody else who's done the work, the harvesting of understanding and knowing Jesus. And we glean from their insight and we take the gleaning of their insight and we build our own intimacy, not actually off of the person of Jesus himself, but off of the gleaning that's come from somebody else's relationship with Jesus. Anyone tracking with this? This process happens in the spiritual life. I think it's so easy for us to glean other people's information. And we can find ourselves actually beginning to believe in a Jesus that other people have told us about rather than a Jesus that we personally encountered for ourselves. So in other words, our experience of Jesus becomes somebody else's experience of Jesus. 
Our belief of Jesus is really somebody else's belief of Jesus. Our relationship with Jesus has predominantly been somebody else's relationship with Jesus. And here's what happens. When your primary posture in your relationship with Jesus is to glean from other people's information about Jesus, here's what you will do. You will construct a version of Jesus that I like to call secondhand Jesus. You're going to make a secondhand Jesus. And here's what you need to hear. The single greatest danger to intimacy with God is the worship of a second-hand Jesus. The single greatest danger to a church is the worship of a second-hand Jesus. The Jesus somebody else told me about rather than the one that I actually know. The Jesus of somebody else's information rather than the Jesus of my revelation. The Jesus that has been constructed by something else that that I've managed to glean myself from and I've aligned myself to. And the reality is we all do this. Now, I want you to hear me really carefully. Can everybody lean in? Hear me really carefully. Gleaning is good. Gleaning is actually an important part of your relationship with Jesus. In fact, I tell you what, God has raised up some incredible men and women in the church through church history that have so much to say that you can learn from, grow from. There is absolutely nothing wrong with downloading a sermon from some preacher that you love overseas and and get some insight into God from that. There is absolutely nothing wrong with reading devotionals every day this week. Hopefully, if you're part of the vine, you've been reading a devotional that somebody else has read. That's the process of gleaning. I want you to hear my heart. There is nothing inherently wrong with gleaning. That's not what I'm saying here. Here is what I am saying. When the posture of your relationship with God is built primarily on what other people's information is about God, if your approach to your relationship with God is primarily structured by what other people have told you about God, you are essentially worshiping a secondhand Jesus, and you have what I would call a borrowed faith. Does that make sense to you? Now again, gleaning's not bad. Here's the reality. I have made my whole life purpose to read the scriptures, learn the scriptures, to harvest so that other people in my church could receive and grow. Every single one of us in this room right now is gleaning right now. Yes, you are. You're listening to me. And my prayer and hope is that you'll glean something good today. I, I pray that you'll hear something that'll be helpful to you. I I pray that there's some sort of uh, impartation that will happen through what I'm sharing today into your life. But hear me, I would more and much more rather have me as a catalyst to your personal faith than you basing your faith out of everything I say. If you have structured your faith around what Andrew says at the Vine or any pastor at the Vine or any church or any sort of ministry, if that's the primary way that you're coming to understand your faith, you are worshiping a second-hand Jesus and you have a borrowed faith. And that is not intimacy. That's information that may or may not be helpful to catalyze you towards intimacy, but we can't make the mistake of thinking that that is intimacy itself. Are you, are you, are you following this? There are two things that will happen, I guarantee you, if you focus in on gleaning more than harvesting in your relationship with Jesus. Two things guarantee will happen. Here's the first one. Not only will you construct a secondhand Jesus, but you will construct a secondhand Jesus of your choosing. Because the whole process of gleaning is picking up stuff that we like. 
when, when our primary posture in building an intimacy with God is based off of what other people have said, what we do is we align ourselves to the things we like that other people have said. Oh, that was a good quote from social media. Oh, that was a bomb message there. Oh, that was good. And then we like those things because they sit well with our already confirmed worldview. They sit well with how we already think we know about Jesus. And when your life, your relationship is primarily structured by gleaning rather than harvesting, what it means is that you will cherry pick the things about Jesus that are comfortable for you to have. This is the sifting that I talked about in the picture I got during my worship. I want you to know this. If that happens, here's what's going to happen. You will have a Jesus that you like, but not a Jesus that saves You will have a Jesus that you're comfortable with, but not a Jesus necessarily of the scriptures. And when your life gets tough, when things are hard and challenges come, you'll find yourself not being able to lean on your constructed version of secondhand Jesus. Here's the second thing that will happen, guarantee you. The second thing will happen is this. You will begin to mistake rumor of God for revelation of God. This is really an, an important thing, and I want you to track with this. When our posture, again, is primarily gleaning rather than harvesting ourselves, what we're really doing is we're building our lives off of other people's opinions about God, other people's ideas about God, other people's maybe even experiences of God, and we're gleaning from that. What you need to realize is that when you glean from someone, the chances are what you're gleaning, they've gleaned from someone else. And the chances are that that other person that they glean from glean from someone else. And so on and so forth. Have you ever played that game where maybe if we started with a whisper here and I whispered something in your ear and you passed it all the way down over here, when it got down to here, it would not be the same? Are you with me? Do you, do you everybody play that game? When your posture in your intimacy with God and relationship with Jesus is built primarily on gleaning rather than harvesting, you're gleaning something that's been passed down, passed down, and suddenly you're going to have the mistake, there's the challenge, there's the temptation to believe that the rumor of God is actually revelation of God. But actually that rumor of God much more likely is something that's been filtered over so many things. And the Bible's very clear, the truth of God is Jesus himself. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. At my Bible school in seminary, I went to Bible school and gleaned a lot. It was great. Over the top of the door of my Bible school, when you walk into it for the first time, it says this. It says, God has spoken. The rest is commentary. And the commentary is helpful and good. The commentary can catalyze and strengthen our faith. Absolutely. But we need to know that God speaks. The truth is alive. And the danger we have if we're posturing mostly with gleaning rather than harvesting is that we'll end up turning rumor of God into revelation of God. If you want to truly deepen your intimacy with God in 2024, what you need to do is trade rumor of God for a firsthand faith. Come on, church. Everybody okay? You got to start trading rumor of God for firsthand faith. You need to be serious and take your own spiritual basket and realize that because of Christ's life, death, and resurrection on the cross, there is a harvest of his relationship with you that is right in front of you, that there's a harvest of goodness and life and glory in him, and you are to step forward and grab a hold of the spiritual stalks that he places in your life and sheath them off and grab the kernel of the word of God for you that changes and transforms you and place it in your spiritual 
your basket and then step forward to the next thing that God has for you and unpack that and harvest the things that God has for you rather than stand back and wait for that person that you think hears more from God than you do to drop a little morsel of idea that you can suck up. Instead, you were designed and created for the harvest. You're a child of God. And you've been given the ability and the privilege to strap a basket of spirit on your back and harvest in intimacy with him. Now, the thing that we have to sit in, the thing that we have to wrestle with, is that harvesting is work. One of the people that I've followed that have, has written a lot about this, his name's Glenn Packiam. He leads a church in California. Uh, he's written around this idea and this topic. I want to read you something uh, that he said. He said, God didn't want me leaning completely on someone else's knowledge of him. He didn't want me coasting, finding shortcuts for knowing him. He wanted me to do the carrying, the heavy lifting, the hard and delightfully glorious work of knowing him. I love how he puts that. The hard but delightfully glorious work of knowing him. In other words, there's work to be done. Hear it this way. Gleaning is easy. Gleaning is simple. You don't need any special gifts to glean in God. You can just pick up what other people have done the hard work of uncovering for themselves. It's much easier for you to go on a run and listen to a spiritual podcast than it is to pray. It's much easier for you to listen to Nicky Gumbel with a Bible in a year than for you to actually open the Bible and read it. I love Nicky, by the way. Don't think I'm criticizing Nicky. Love my, love my man, Nicky. Okay? But I'm making a point. Do you get the point? See, here, here's the issue. We live in Hong Kong, and Hong Kong is one of the busiest places and cultures to live in. In other words, your time is the biggest resource that you have, the most important thing in your hand. And if your approach to intimacy with Jesus this year is going to be based on whether you're busy or not, let me just tell you, you're going to be busy this year. And when you're busy, you will naturally default to what is easiest in your spiritual life. And what is easiest in your spiritual life is gleaning rather than harvesting because harvesting is going to take some work. Harvesting is going to require you to put some time aside and open the Bible. Harvesting is going to require you to pray. Harvesting is going to require you to roll up your sleeves a little bit and prioritize what it is to take the spiritual things in your life and wrestle with them and pray with them with God, share them with others, get their input and help. That's the gleaning part that can help within it. But the harvesting is work. If you don't want to work, then just glean. But if you're going to glean predominantly, you're going to struggle in intimacy with Jesus. When we harvest, what we're doing is we're posturing ourselves for his revelation. And gleaning, although it's so easy, only ever leads us to a place where we'll feel shallow and empty. You were designed for the harvest. And Jesus died for that for you. Don't let the enemy get you so busy that you find yourself constantly defaulting to somebody else's revelation rather than getting your own. Don't allow yourself to be so lazy that you're just surviving off the throwaways of your pastor rather than actually investing in the scriptures for yourself. You need to move from rumors of God 
to a first-hand faith. Here's something you need to know about rumors. In the absence of revelation, rumors grow. In the absence of revelation and truth, rumors grow. And when we keep God at an arm's length, when we keep him at a distance to us, when we, when we hold him away from us and we, we just consume what other people are experiencing with him and, and not walking into that for ourselves, we're much more vulnerable to rumors of God, much more vulnerable as people to what everybody else seems to have a perspective and opinion. And we end up shaping and making life decisions on somebody else's opinion of God. This was really important to Jesus Um, Jesus, throughout the Gospels, wrestled with this with his disciples. And there's this beautiful moment in Mark chapter 8. Is this helping someone? You guys okay? In in Mark chapter 8, Jesus begins to shift the focus to his disciples because he wants them to move from rumor of God to revelation of who he is. And so let me pick this up from verse 27. Jesus and his disciples went went on to the villages around Caesarea Philippi. On the way, he asked them, Who do people say I am? What a great question. He says to the disciples, what are the rumors about me? What does everybody else think? What what does everybody else think about me? Those that are not like you, who are walking day in, day out with me. Those that are in the crowds, at a distance. What do they think that I am? And the disciples knew. They said this, well, some say you're John the Baptist. Others say Elijah and still others, one of the prophets, they, they say, here's what the rumors are about you. Here's what people are convinced that you are. I mean, they've heard things about you. And so they've just said, well, that must be John the Baptist. Or they think you're Elijah. Or you're, you, they just think you're one of the great prophets because they've heard of what you did and the healing that happened over here. They just heard about it. They didn't witness it, by the way. They just heard about it. And so they defined you based on the rumor of what they've heard. So they say to Jesus, here are all the rumors. Guess what? All the rumors were wrong. And so then Jesus says what I think is one of the most critical things. He says, but what about you? Who do you say I am? For some of you at the beginning of 2024, that is the most critical question that Jesus is asking you this year. In a year of intimacy, he's starting with saying, who do you think I am? Forget what Andrew thinks. I mean, don't fully forget what I think. I hope you come here and learn some things, okay? But yeah, forget what Andrew thinks. Forget what the vine says. I'm more interested, Jesus says, about you and your heart. Who do you think I am? And here's Peter's response, perhaps one of the most profound things in the New Testament. Peter answered, you are the Messiah. You're not John the Baptist. You're not some Elijah. You're not just simply a prophet. You're the son of God. You're the Messiah. You're the one that Israel has been longing for. We have been with you day in and day out. We're not existing off the fumes of some rumors and trying to make some meal of faith off of the tidbits and throwaways and the leftovers of somebody else. We've walked with you. We've been with you. We've seen the miracles. We've heard your teaching. We've not always been comfortable with it. We've struggled with it. We've been confused at times, if I'm honest with you, Jesus, but I cannot say, I cannot deny that after all of that relationship with you, you are not Elijah, you're not John the Baptist, you are the Messiah, you're Jesus, that's who I know, and that hasn't come to me because someone else has told me, Peter is saying, that is my revelation from my intimacy with you, you are the Messiah. Peter profoundly moves from rumor of God to first-hand 
revelation and declaration. And on the back of that revelation, Jesus changes everything in his ministry. He starts heading towards Jerusalem until the death on the cross because somebody now has got it. Somebody has connected with him. And you need to understand that when we exist on gleaning rather than harvesting, when we, when we make our diet predominantly rumor rather than actually revelation with him, here's what rumor will do. Rumor will tell you the what of God, but it can never tell you the who of God. It'll tell you what about God, but it can't tell you the who of God. And and here's the thing I really want you to understand. If you really base your relationship with God only on rumor of Him, you will find yourself, this is really key, you will find yourself knowing what God is, but not who God is. You will find yourself with other people's information, but not your own revelation. You will find yourself with knowledge but not intimacy. You will find yourself with knowledge, but not necessarily intimacy. The work of intimacy is moving from the what of God to the who of God. It's moving away from rumor of him and information of him to first-hand faith, first-hand encounter and I want to I just say that one of the greatest fallacies in the church, and I think we struggle with this here in Hong Kong quite a bit, is that we have this misperception that those who are really knowledgeable of God are also really intimate with God. Let me preach on this one for a moment. We have this misperception, it's a fallacy actually, that those who appear really knowledgeable of God are therefore very intimate with God. And trust me, that is not always the case. But the problem that we have is that we see somebody who's super knowledgeable of God and we, we know that they're knowledgeable and we've seen them speak things that, that have really you know, changed our lives and, and we, we look at this person and we put them on a pedestal and we say, this person really knows God and if I can just follow this person, if I could just follow this pastor or this church or this ministry, if I could align myself to that and if I could just pick up the scraps of their revelation with God, I tell you what, my gleaning of that person because of their knowledge of God is way better than the harvesting that I could ever have. So I would rather align myself to glean from them than harvest myself. We think this way in the church. And Jesus said, follow me. He didn't say follow that pastor, follow that church. Now again, okay, it's good to follow churches, good to follow pastors, okay? Everybody with me? It's a preaching technique called taking you to the extreme to help bring you back to the middle, okay? Okay. <laughs> don't misinterpret what I'm saying, but I hope you hear what I'm saying, right? That Jesus says, follow me. And, and we follow Christ because we are in the harvest field as a harvester, not a gleaner. And some of you here, if you really want to move in intimacy with Jesus this year, it's going to have to be a shift for you from a life that is predominantly building a relationship with Jesus off of somebody else's relationship with Jesus to a first-hand faith. We have this thing where we think this. We think the one with the most knowledge has the most access. But you need to understand that all of us have equal access when it comes to the person of Jesus. We think that the one with knowledge has more access. Well, that must be how they got all their knowledge because they got this great access to Jesus. And if only I had that access. The reality is every single one of us 
whether you're a day-old Christian or you've been a Christian for 50 years, has the same access to the person of Jesus Christ. There's this beautiful part in in the book of Hebrews. Uh, Let me just read this to you quickly. Uh, In the book of Hebrews, it says this, the writer, he says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, notice this, by the blood of Jesus, not by how much you know, but simply by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened to us through the curtain that is his body. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith. Let every single one of us draw near to God out of full assurance of faith. Why? Because you're smart? No. Why? Because you know more than someone else? No. Why? Because you've got a better experience of God than someone else? No. Simply because the blood of Jesus has been shed on the cross and you now, because of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, have your sins forgiven, which means your redeemed and you're renewed, you now have Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father, interceding on your behalf. You have access. You're not a gleaner. You haven't been... Put it this way. Jesus did not go to the cross so that you would glean somebody else's intimacy. Jesus went to the cross to pay a very high price so that you would have the joy and the wonder of a relationship with him. Never forfeit the privilege of your relationship with God by outsourcing it to someone else. Never forfeit the privilege of your relationship with Jesus by outsourcing it to someone else. Can you learn from others? Absolutely. Is it good to glean? 100%. Are there amazing people in church history that have a lot to teach us? Yes, yes, yes. But intimacy comes from trading rumors of God to first-hand faith. There's a book in the Old Testament that preaches what I'm telling you today over the whole book. It's the book of Job. Job also, like Ruth, a story of a family. A story of a family that begins and ends, or begins and they go into immediate, complete travesty as a family. Job is left on his own. And interestingly, from chapters 2 all the way through to chapter 37... Job is surrounded by three friends that have a lot of rumors of God. Three friends that show up and say, maybe this is why this is happening. Have you thought about this? Did you know this about God? Have you repented of this? Has this happened to you? Three really well-meaning friends with lots of ideas and opinions and thoughts of God. And every single step of the way through the chapters, Job is more and more confused about who God is, why this has happened, and the rumors are not helping him. He's starving despite an influx of rumors of God. But in chapter 38, God breaks through it all and speaks and pushes the three friends to one side, and he speaks to Job. And he takes four chapters, and he says, you want to know who I am? This is who I am. This is really who I am. And this is how I operate. And these are the things that I do. And this is my glory. And this is who you are in relation to me. And he lays it all out for four chapters. And in chapter 42, finally, Job now responds to God. I want to read you how Job responds. I'm going to read from Eugene Peterson's version of the message. It says this. I admit I once lived by rumors of you, but now I have it all firsthand from my own eyes and ears. I'm sorry, forgive me. I'll never do that again. I promise I'll never again live on crust or hearsay, crumbs or rumors. The NIV uh, writes it this way in verse five. My ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. 
I had the rumor. I could hear things about you, but now I've encountered you for myself. I am not a gleaner. I'm a harvester, and that has changed everything in me. Intimacy is found when we shift from rumor to revelation. Intimacy is found when we use the gleaning in our life to catalyze a deeper, more effective harvesting of him. That's what he's opened up for us. It's what he's opened up for you. And as you start this year with a call on you to intimacy with him, it has to start with an honest reflection. Am I worshiping a secondhand Jesus? Do I have a borrowed faith? And while I'm not going to get rid of all of that stuff, because it is all helpful, am I predominantly, primarily building my relationship with Jesus off of my relationship with Jesus. Am I a harvester or am I a gleaner? My prayer for you is that you would hear Jesus say, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. And I wonder whether we would grab a hold of the harvest this year in our intimacy with him. Amen? Can I pray for you? Can we stand together? Let's pray. And as you stand, I want you just to quieten down your heart. Maybe let's just open our hands if you're comfortable to do that. Let's come into a posture of preparing ourselves to hear from him. I've done a lot of talking. I'm going to shut up in a moment because really I don't want any more gleaning here. I want some harvesting. And if this message has been helpful to you, there's been some good gleaning for you out of our time together this afternoon. Now's the time for you to move towards harvest with him. And I want to create some space for you to pray with him, to spend time with him, to listen to him, to his voice for you. And some of you, it might be this idea of a secondhand Jesus, realizing that it's been a while since you've actually spent just time with him yourself put away the helpful things, but come just rawly in prayer. Open the scriptures for yourself to read and ask the Holy Spirit to give you revelation and word. For some of you, it might be that you've taken rumor for revelation. For some of you, it might be that you found yourself worshiping knowledge over intimacy that you've been quite proud of what you know of God, and that maybe you've held on to that pride, but you realize that you actually, if you're honest with yourself, you don't really know him personally. Maybe you've got some great theology, but you don't know Jesus truly. It'll be different for all of us Take a time. Take some time to listen to his voice for you. He loves you so much. He draws near to you.